Hello, and welcome back to the College Baseball Central podcast. I'm your host, Joe Healy, publisher and editor of collegebaseballcentral.com. Today, we're going to be joined by Garrett Podell, TCU baseball play-by-play announcer, to talk some Horn Frogs baseball. Uh, 2018, kind of a, a tough season for TCU. They were coming off four consecutive appearances in the College World Series. Obviously an outstanding level of success there. And 2018 just, just didn't quite live up. 33-23 and 23 overall, 10-13 and 13 in the Big 12. You know, they kind of struggled throughout the season against the best teams on their schedule, and you kind of kept waiting for them to make a move and waiting for them to make a move and assuming, given uh, you know, given the level of success that program has enjoyed, you kind of just assumed they would always make that move. And, and they did a little bit in getting to the final of the Big 12 tournament nearly getting the automatic bid to get into the postseason. Uh, ended up losing that game, however, to Baylor. Um, but in the regular season, you kind of kept waiting for them to make that move to get into at-large position. It just never quite happened. You know, late in the year, they had a, a big series win against Texas Tech, and you thought, okay, maybe this is it. Uh, and then they followed that up with a series win over a pretty good West Virginia team. Uh, but the metrics just never really moved that much. They ended up still having an RPI stuck in the 50s. Uh, the under 500 record in the Big 12 is always going to be a little bit of a sticking point as well. And so in the end, they just ended up falling a little bit short of another postseason appearance. Uh, so we'll talk about that with Garrett. Uh, we'll also look ahead to 2019. Uh, still a lot of reasons for optimism here. Uh, the rotation led by Jared Janzak and Nick Lodolo, a couple of guys that uh, they probably feel like they know what they're going to get from them. Uh, and a lot of candidates, and we'll talk about this specifically with Garrett, a lot of candidates in the mix of that third rotation spot. There's no shortage of options there. So Jim Schlossnagel and his staff going to have uh, uh, going to have a lot of choice there. Uh, offensively, certainly uh, optimism starts with the return of Josh Watson. Tough 2017, uh, put up big numbers again in 2018. So we'll talk with uh, Garrett about expectations for his senior season. Uh, certainly he'll want it to be more like 2018 and 2016 than uh, 2017. So a ton of stuff to get into with Garrett. Let's jump right in. All right, as promised, we are joined by Garrett Podell, TCU play-by-play announcer, pardon me. Uh, tough season in 2018 for TCU. Um, you know, had some talent on the roster, looked good at different points of the year, had some marquee series wins, um, just never quite seemed to come together. The metrics just didn't work in their favor. We'll certainly talk about all of that with Garrett. And we'll look ahead to a 2019 season where there's going to be uh, a little bit of turnover on the roster, so we'll talk about maybe some breakout candidates from the guys who were, were already there. We'll also talk about some big names returning. Nick Lodolo, Jared Janzak, those are names that uh, those who have followed TCU baseball will know well. Josh Watson, a guy who's been pretty productive throughout his career. So a lot of returning guys as well. We'll touch on that too. Uh, let's jump right in. Garrett, I appreciate you joining us today. Yes, thank you uh, for having me. I appreciate you uh, inviting me to come on. Yeah, Like you said, it, it was overall a tough season for TCU because they didn't make the NCAA tournament after making four consecutive college world series appearances. But like you, like you alluded to, there were some, some bright spots, including able to string together uh, a number of series wins. I think it's about five or six series wins in a row to, to finish off big 12 play. But the season really started to crumble for the Horn Frogs uh, last year when Luke and Baker went down with an injury towards the end of an early season uh, Tuesday night game against Abilene Christian. And it was another freak injury for uh, a guy who ended up getting picked in the second round by the Cardinals as he was sliding into second base. And Beck sort of was unfortunately par for the course for, for Luke and during his time at TCU. His freshman year, completely healthy, made a phenomenal impact pitching initially and then primarily playing first base DH. But a couple of freak injuries ended his uh, sophomore junior campaigns at TCU. Um, and once again, but all, despite all that, TCU st- 
still had the opportunity to make the NCAA tournament, making it to the Big 12 tournament championship game. But, of course, just things seemed to fall, fall apart at the end there, uh, as they had for TCU in a number of different points in the season. In that final against Baylor, Horn Frogs were up. Durbin Feltman, who ended up being picked in, I believe, the third round by the Boston Red Sox, he's pitching to close out the championship game. And it was very sunny in Oklahoma City um, where they play the Big 12 tournament. And a couple outfielders, A.J. Balta and Johnny Reiser, lost fly balls in the sun, allowing Baylor to tie and then eventually uh, single in the winning runs. Which, uh, But, yeah, even with all that, I was surprised that TC was left out of the NCAA tournament uh, based on some of the other teams that got in. But, um, yeah, an up-and-down season for sure for the Frogs, like you said. As far as why they didn't, why, why this team fell short, uh, you know, obviously missing the tournament was just kind of a numbers game. I mean, the, the, the committee uses a number of metrics, and when it came to TCU, the RPI wasn't quite there, the quality wins just weren't quite there. But from an on-field perspective, why did the team fall a little bit short in terms of results? Was it just kind of a matter of running out of gas, the injuries to, as you mentioned, Luke and Baker uh, were, were a big deal? Was it was it that, or was it something else that, that you saw in the field that the team just wasn't quite up to the level that we'd seen the previous four years? Well, yeah, so, so injuries certainly played a part, like you said, Luke and Baker, as I mentioned, and also Jared Danzak, um, sure. who had been the, the unquestioned ace of this team, and, and the year before had put together an All-American campaign. He had some nerve issues and different elbow issues that sidelined him for pretty much. He pitched for a little bit toward the end of the season, a little bit at the beginning, but pretty much missed the bulk of 2018. So that's obviously a significant factor when you lose um, an ace pitcher like that. But, but also there was some youth in the lineup. Uh, Colby Bowyer. Uh, a player who has since transferred to the University of Arkansas. He was playing second base and, and leading off for, for the Horned Frogs. And he had an up and down year. And that was a spot at second base that was filled the past three or four years by Cam Warner, a guy from Australia who hit around 280 most of the time, was very sure handed in the field, very uh, smart base running player. Um, and so I really feel like TCU felt the loss of a strength in that top of the lineup and just knowing, okay, these are the guys who are going to come up and really make a difference. Also, they were never really able to replace Nolan Brown in center field, a fifth, a fifth year guy uh, who finished up his time at TC 2017, who played great outfield defense, very fast, added uh, great base running to the Horn Frogs. It just seemed like it was that combination of injuries and just youth at key positions. Also at third base, Connor Shepard, a transfer from, I think, uh, a small junior college in San Antonio, and, and it took him a while to get going at the plate um, offensively at the high D1 levels as he was a junior college transfer. So it was a mixture of injuries and breaking in a lot of younger position players, I would say. Because TCU's had so much success over the last you know four or five year, four years prior to last year, and that they've had this extended run of success, there's a lot of guys in the roster that it feels like have been there forever. Uh, one of those guys is Josh Watson, and part of the reason it feels like that for him is he's had a little bit of an up and down career. Uh, in 2018 was was an up year. He struggled in 2017, came back in 2018, had a big impact offensively. Uh, what was behind his uh, resurgence in 2018, and then what are your expectations for him going into uh, a senior his senior year, which I imagine he's going to be, uh, you know, kind of the guy that makes that offense go. Yeah, with uh, Luke and Baker uh, gone, it, all of the eyes in the lineup definitely 
focus on Josh Watson to be that middle of the order bat. And, and like you said, sort of a roller coaster career because his freshman year, both Josh Watson and Luke and Baker hit the same number of home runs, 11, and Watson hit high 200s. I think he hovered around uh, 280, 275 most of the year and drove in a lot of runs, uh, batting cleanup behind Luke and Baker. So a lot of high expectations entering year two, but then you have the sophomore slump where, it, from my perspective, of watching him his, his sophomore year, it looked like he was trying too hard to to live up to that persona of being a power hitter. And it looked like he was just swinging through a lot of pitches, especially swinging at the first pitch early in a number of his at-bats his sophomore year, which I think contributed to that slump. Is He just stopped seeing fastballs, I believe, his sophomore year because pitchers knew we could throw junk at him and he'll just swing right through it. Whereas his junior year, he became, once again, a little more selective at the plate. His walk numbers increased. Uh, significantly from sophomore year to junior year, which, again, saw his power numbers go up as he approached a uh, double-digit uh, number in terms of his home run total. So I believe just more plate discipline and being more relaxed uh, his, his junior year. Because I think entering his sophomore year, he had the mindset of this isn't you know, that's something that's been directly reported to me, but just little whispers that I've heard was that he was looking to – get drafted pretty high after three years in college, after his junior year, which is the goal for a lot of college baseball players. Sure. He put a lot of pressure on himself his sophomore year to be that kind of player and put together that kind of body of work in just three years. And so I think after having that season sophomore year, he kind of just relaxed a little bit more, which I think also contributed to the bounce back in junior year. In the rotation, there's a couple guys who you kind of can go ahead and pencil in there. One is a guy you've mentioned, Jared Janzak, another guy, frankly, who feels like he's been there a decade. Um, then, of course, Nick Lodolo um, in the rotation. So those are two guys you kind of feel pretty good about and know what you're going to get from those guys. And there's the third spot in the rotation. Is there anybody uh, in particular you're eyeing as, as, as a contender to, to hold down that third spot in the rotation behind those two? Well, uh, one of the bigger con- uh, contenders for that third weekend rotation spot, uh, sophomore Russell Smith, a 6'9 uh, right-hander who showed some promise at times as a freshman a year ago. Uh, he actually is, is having Tommy John surgery on his uh, elbow, and he's going to miss the entire 2019 season. So that removes a player who probably would have been at least in your top four starting pitchers, if not the last weekend guy, for sure I would have thought – at the Tuesday guy, but since he's out of the mix, I feel it really comes down to a couple of good players for that third weekend spot. And that's to me, are a couple of juniors, uh, Jake Eisler, uh, a junior from Colorado and, uh, Cal Co- or not Cal Coughlin, excuse me. Um, Charles King, a junior from, uh, from Texas. Uh, and I think it's going to come down between those guys. Charles King is a pitcher who, uh, his, his fastball, it has such phenomenal live movement on it. He can throw fastball, and, it, and it's something where he doesn't even really have to think that much. It's going to dart up, down, all over the place. His pitches have great movement. But that's also come back to hurt him at times, as uh, sometimes he loses uh, control a little bit on the mound and, and ends up walking guys, which is where he can find himself getting in trouble. And then you have Jake Eisler, who he came on at the end of – last season as a starting pitcher he'd primarily been a reliever his first two years on campus but toward the end of the year as as the team was trying to find different alternatives for Jared Janzak in that 
spot, he, he ended up needing to get a weekend start. I forget what the circumstance was. One of the starting pitchers was injured or had to have a start pushed back or what have you. So he, ha- he got a start and went seven or eight innings, and then he became a fixture in the rotation since then, earning a couple of Big 12 Player of the Week awards. So I'd say it'd be between uh, Charles King and Jake Eisler for that third weekend spot, um, just in terms of out of the returning guys. Now, TCU does bring in, I think, a top five recruiting class into this season. I haven't really been able to take a good look at those guys since uh, official team practice doesn't start up again until January. But if you were asking me just from the returning guys who's in contention for that third weekend spot, I'd say be those two. Yeah, Charles King's an interesting guy. You mentioned his name, and I remember he, you know, he came in at the same time as, as Lodolo, and, and there was you know, almost like an equal amount of buzz between those two guys. And, and King just hasn't had, uh, hasn't had quite the impact that Lodolo had from, from that first moment. And so maybe his, his junior season is, is a time maybe to, to shine in that way. So certainly uh, an interesting name to follow there. I, I wanted to ask you about uh, the offense as well. It's, it's a, there's going to be several pieces to replace there. And um, I'm curious if you have any, your eye on any of, of breakout candidates from the guys who were on the 2018 team that maybe just either A, didn't have the season that they would have wanted to have, statistically speaking, or B, just didn't get the opportunities because they were blocked. Well, I think anything Connor Shepard does at third base, if he, if he ends up being the starter at third base, like I said, I'm, I'm not sure on some of the incoming guys how how where they are in terms of getting the start or not at just at this point in the off season. But if Connor Shepard is once again, the guy at third base, anything he does in 2019 would be probably considered a breakout from what happened at the beginning of uh, the 2018 campaign where he just looked lost up the plate. He was able to eventually get his average up in the low two hundreds uh, toward the end of the season. So I could, I could anticipate him having a much better season just simply because it's year two for him playing uh, high D one baseball. And, and also, Another player who I could see breaking out for TCU is catcher Zach Humphreys. A lot was expected of him uh, replacing Evan Skalg behind the plate for TCU in 2018 because in limited time as a DH or potential or fill in for Skalg here and there, he came up with some big hits, especially drawing walks in key situations. He uh, drew a walk in the Super Regional against Missouri State a couple years ago, which then set up the theatrics that was Evan Scout's go-ahead home run in the bottom of the eighth inning that allowed TCU to take game one of the Super Regional against Missouri State, and then they took game two the next day to advance to their fourth straight College World Series. But Zach Humphreys last season, for whatever reason, he didn't have uh, that great of a year hitting, and he struck out a lot more than he did as a freshman, but you could obviously contribute some of that to more opportunities, some more opportunity to strike out. But I think Zach Humphreys will also be a guy to watch in terms of breaking out offensively because I think he's a quality hitter. I, I, I think he'll make some adjustments to his swing and plate discipline. So I could see Zach Humphreys uh, as the catcher making an impact as well, much more so than he did a year ago. So what we'll wrap up with, and this is how I wrap up all of my podcasts uh, where I interview some of the some of the local broadcasters and writers, is, is the food recommendation segment. And I'm excited to hear this part of it because uh, Fort Worth's kind of a cool city. I, having grown up in Texas, I you know spent a lot of time uh, visiting Fort Worth. Um, so I'll give the uh, introduction, Garrett, that I do to everyone I have on the podcast, and that's that we're going to throw logistics okay. we're going to throw logistics out the window. So don't worry about 
well, you got to get here at this to this place at a certain time because they have weird hours, or this place is really hard to to get into. You know, there's, you're gonna have to wait forever to get in. Let's forget all of that. Let's just focus on the food. If someone were to come to Fort Worth, uh, where would you recommend they get a bite to eat? Okay, well, depending on Fort Worth is a phenomenal food town. If you're a foodie, Fort Worth is a great place to visit. And depending on what kind of food you like, I would suggest a variety of different things. We're talking barbecue. Uh, obviously, right. the meat in Fort Worth is incredible. It's cow town. Um, and so there's a number of barbecue spots. Heim Barbecue, a more uh, recent addition within the last few years to the Fort Worth barbecue scene, their restaurant on uh, Magnolia Street in Fort Worth uh, that started out as a food truck. Incredible food. And, and, and they're a restaurant where they have a set allotment of meat every day and they just keep the restaurant open until they run out of the meat they their restaurant is literally a piece of paper uh their menu and they just cross out different types of uh, meats that they have when they sell out but incredible uh barbecue Uh, the meat is really juicy they've got this thing there i don't know if you've ever had it anywhere else called uh bacon burnt ends and so what they are they're little pieces of bacon and they're fried, and you take a bite of them, and I'm not sure all what else uh, the chef does to them because people come and ask him all the time, hey, what do you do to make these bacon burn ends? I'd love to cook them at home, and he never answers the question and says a magician can't reveal his secrets. So Heim Barbecue is a great spot. The Woodshed on the Trinity River is another great barbecue spot. And then in terms of just Fort Worth staples, Joe T. Garcia's is a restaurant, like you said, Sometimes the line is really long to get into Joti Garcia's. It's a Mexican restaurant, um, and it's a unique restaurant in that it has two menu items. You either get the fajitas or the enchiladas, but it's good Mexican. Not necessarily the best like food Mexican place you could go to, but in terms of ambiance, it's a place that you can't necessarily beat because this is a restaurant that spans, gosh, I don't know, feels like you could fit like four or five different restaurants in there. It's primarily an outdoor restaurant with this beautiful garden and they've got like a nice little flowing waterfall in there uh as as well great scenery but they're most well known for their margaritas so if you like margaritas and you're of legal drinking age that's a good place to get a drink and and some mexican food many people in fort worth go there to celebrate things or just go when it's a big group of people uh for, for lunch that's another great fort worth food spot and then in terms of burgers my favorite burger place in Fort Worth is Rodeo Goat on West 7th Street. They've got a bunch of unique, different kinds of burgers. The personal favorite burger of myself would be the Chaca Oaxaca. It's this Mexican burger. So you've got your patty meat on there, obviously. And then you have, um, you know, a little bit of chorizo, fried egg, avocado, and it is, it is divine. And the fries there, really well seasoned as well. So those are some of my Fort Worth uh, food spot favorite uh for those listening that garrett just knocked that out of the park you see he was confident he had answers prepared and that's how you know i mean first of all he was you know he had his answers ready to go but also i mean that tells you that he was right about fort worth being a good food town when he has those answers locked and loaded um i can speak to that and fort worth is just kind of a a cool town in general because you know dallas is so sprawling and and if, if that's not kind of your speed, Fort Worth is a little bit slower pace to it, but it has a lot of stuff going for it. I've always kind of enjoyed Fort Worth compared to compared to Dallas proper. So uh, certainly some fantastic food recommendations there. And it hits the Texas staples. Just about everybody I've had on from Texas, um, whether it be in you know a 
uh, Dallas Fort Worth or, or Houston goes with the staples of the barbecue and the yep. Mexican food, and you certainly certainly can't go wrong there. So, uh, fantastic recommendations once again. Uh, I want to thank our guest Garrett Podell for joining us again today. Once again, Garrett, the TCU play-by-play announcer. Uh, you can get him on Twitter at Garrett Podell. That's at G A R R E T T P O D E L L at Garrett Podell on Twitter. Garrett, I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Uh... For having me, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's nice to talk some TC baseball. Looking forward to the 2019 season. It'll be interesting to see where the team goes. And uh, once again, thank you for having me. I had a had a great time talking. Oh, thank you, sir. Our thanks once again to Garrett Podell for joining us today. Once again, follow Garrett on Twitter at Garrett Podell. That'll do it for this edition of the College Baseball Central podcast. Head on over to collegebaseballcentral.com for all of our continuing coverage of the college baseball offseason. For one, we'll have a lot more podcasts coming your way, but we'll also have some features up on the site as well. Most recently, that's been our list of the 25 most interesting programs heading into the 2019 season. This is a list of the programs that kind of just have us most excited for first pitch. It's programs that are set for big seasons or have certain players ready to break out, or maybe just a program that has a lot of questions around it. So uh, these are the 25 programs that, that, you know, I just find personally most interesting. Not necessarily the 25 best. They're not in any particular order, but we're going through the list five at a time. Uh, Those programs that have us most excited for the start of the season, which don't look now, is uh, coming ever closer. So be sure to check that out if you haven't done so already. You can follow me on Twitter at JoeOnSports. That's Joe underscore on underscore sports. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and the TuneIn app. And no matter where you listen to our show first, be sure you're subscribed and do so if you aren't already, but also consider leaving us a rating and review. As we continue to try to grow the show, your positive ratings and reviews are crucial as we try to climb those recommended podcast lists. Finally, you can get in touch with the show via email at collegebaseballcentralpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's collegebaseballcentralpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening, everyone.